Hey everybody, you're about to listen to 20 Years of Nitro, but before we get to the show this week, I wanted to let you know that we are thrilled to be a part of the Old School Wrestling Network. This is a section of podcasts that you can find over at piledriverwrestling.net, which is one of my absolute favorite wrestling destinations on the internet. They host OSW Review, some of the best uh, wrestling videos that you can find online. Uh, these are three Irish guys who go through and watch uh, pay-per-views, originally pay-per-view by pay-per-view from the Hogan and WWF era, but now they're hopping around because they covered all that. They're hopping around from storyline to storyline. Absolutely hilarious. You need to check them out. Uh, you can find that, on again, at piledriverwrestling.net. They also host some of my favorite podcasts like the New Generation Project podcast and the Attitude the Attitude Era podcast. Uh, if those two shows didn't exist, I, I doubt very much that this show would exist. So we're really happy to be a part of that family. And again, you can find us at piledriverwrestling.net in the Old School Wrestling Network uh, section of the site. So we're, we're really happy. Uh, if you've already subscribed to the show, your subscription is going to be fine. You don't need to update it or anything. There's just a new partnership, a new way to find the show, and a new way for us to bring the show to new fans. We're really excited about it. Hope you are too. And without further ado, enjoy 20 years of Nitro. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for welcoming everyone to where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. It is October 2nd, 1995. We are in Denver, Colorado in front of 9,000 fans, 3,700 of which actually paid to get in for a total gate of $34,000. He's a... He's pretty excited, Eric is uh, this week. But I did you catch there that there was a second when he said "Welcome to" and then he paused, and I think he had a he almost forgot the name Monday Nitro. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just overthinking it at this point. Was he uh, was he referring to Pepe or Heenan as the Wild Thing? Uh, I think it was either Mongo or Pepe because okay. Pepe is wearing some adorable little those googly eye glasses that kind of are like on little slinkies that hang yeah. down. Where does Mongo find these outfits and the shit? It's it, it's pretty incredible. I I don't know, but when you when you saw the glasses, you could you could see that someone had to tie them. Yeah, yeah. And and I just realized that someone in production had that responsibility to tie those onto the dog's head because you know Mongo didn't figure that out. I also wonder, are they like giving Pepe a Valium before these shows? Because that dog is so well-behaved. It just sits right. there doing nothing yeah. while Mongo puts on these crazy outfits and just holds it right in his hand. I, I also wonder if he's getting peed, uh, pee in his hand, like, occasionally. <laughs> I don't know. 
the announcers do their normal pre-show hype. Uh, they tell us that our main event is a, it's a double main event tonight yeah. with uh, the match that we knew about coming out of last week's Nitro, Macho Man versus Lex Luger with Lex Luger's title shot and uh, career in WCW on the line. But they also tell us uh, that there is now a double main event and that Arn Anderson will be taking on Ric Flair, something that we didn't know on uh, Nitro last week. As we mentioned, Ric Flair is supposed to be out for four weeks after having eye surgery, but it seems like the low ratings that have been coming in have got them to panic a little bit, mm-hmm. and they're bringing him back early and putting him in a main event television match against Arn Anderson. Yeah, and I, like, and as you mentioned last week, the the ratings for Nitro could be. I don't know if the, I'm not sure if they really were that alarming, or it's more the fact that their very first episode did exceedingly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I don't know if they have like the right perspective, but certainly. You can tell from even last week and the beginning of this show that this Nitro was set up to be their most successful one. Absolutely. Uh, so they're t- they're hyping up the show, and Flair actually comes out to the announcer booth, mm-hmm. grabs Bischoff's headset, and starts just screaming and ranting about how he's going to kick Arn Anderson's ass tonight. He The Nature Boy's fired up, so it's a little reminder right at the top of the show about how invested in this feud Ric Flair is. And probably a little sign to the viewer. I mean, they've also announced the match, but it's also telling the viewers who maybe didn't watch last week when it seemed like Flair wasn't on the show, hey, Flair's here. Uh, You can see right now, Flair's right there. Stick around. Don't watch Raw. Ric Flair is going to be on this show. And also, is this the first time that a wrestler has invaded the broadcast booth? On Nitro, yes. Yes, because that's another uh, sort of traditional thing in itself. Uh especially later on when we, we have Hall and Nash. We get uh, first, despite it being billed as the co-main event, we're going to get Macho Man and Randy Savage right off the bat here. So we get a recap video, uh, just like we did last week, covering all of their recent issues. Uh, it's a pretty good job, like I said, uh, in, in reference to last week. It could be edited a little tighter, but they do a good job of going through the feud and, and hitting all the major points. What did you think? I thought it was good. Um, I don't know if this is just the if this is just hindsight, but isn't that the fact that this match was the opening match? Would that suggest that Luger's not going to lose his career in the opening match right. of a Nitro? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I I can't. I don't remember how it was when because again I was only like twelve at the time. Right, I, I wasn't a sophisticated enough fan at the time, but right. I'm, there's probably there were probably smarks then, just like there's smarks now, yeah. who are rolling their eyes a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lex comes out first and he's looking jacked. He, I seriously think he's gained 40 pounds of muscle in the five weeks that we've been watching Nitro. Yeah. He is really packing it on. Uh, and I don't think it's all protein shakes, if you know what I'm saying. It, it's not all sponsored by IcoPro? <laughs> well, yeah, I think IcoPro pulled their deal when he switched leagues, as Mongo would say. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> he comes out and, uh, he positions himself kind of in front of the WCW logo and flexes while Pyro goes off behind him. It looks pretty impressive. And you get, as I alluded to last week, he his whole deal is he looks like he should be a wrestler. Yeah. Whether he can pull it off on the mic or in the ring uh, is certainly another story, but the dude looks impressive as hell. Yeah. And, and you notice over the weeks that uh, Nitro is getting a lot better with these introductions as far as uh, the pyro is concerned. They, they have it more oriented where, you know, last week Randy Savage was – uh, pretty much counting off the fireworks and now people are, are knowing to stop mm-hmm. and to pose or something like that with fireworks. So they're, they're kind of 
it seems like they are like learning or tweaking their presentation of the wrestlers. And that's, I mean, that's good. They, yeah. they need to. Um, certainly the production values are good, but that is one area that I think WWF is kicking their butt a little bit at mm-hmm. this time is in the production value department. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. Mongo tells us as Macho comes down that if we're not watching this, we must be as brain dead as all the members of Bobby Heenan's family. Uh, which seems unnecessary both to Heenan and also to us because we are watching the show. So you don't need to tell us about how dumb we'd be if we weren't watching the show. I don't know if, like, am I supposed to call my friend and say, like, hey, I know you're watching Raw, but you need to change it because otherwise your Mongo just said that you're really dumb if you don't. (laughs) Also, that just seems like a really unnecessary attack on Heenan, too. (laughs) Yeah, it really because Enan was not talking shit about him to that point, <laughs> right? So yeah, he comes out guns blazing. He Mongo always kind of defaults when he doesn't know what to say to just yeah. really ripping on Bobby. Oh yeah. So this match, uh, they always say that if you're in a really heated feud, you shouldn't start with a collar elbow lockup. Well, in that case, <laughs> <laughs> this match starts with about a forty-five second collar elbow lockup. Yeah, they lock up right away and they jostle. It's kind of a test of strength, which is a little preposterous on its face because Luger is like a physical specimen. Mm-hmm. And Macho certainly isn't, uh, you know, too shabby, but he's no Lex Luger in the power department. Right. And that that's the story of the match, as Bischoff keep, uh, frequently references, is it's uh, Lex's power versus Macho's intensity. Yes. So the fact that they start off jostling for power, A, looks kind of silly, mm-hmm. and B, it doesn't match that this is this is two guys who are supposedly really angry at each other right now. Yeah. They should come out swinging, really. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, in this collar, this, this tie-up, they go out of the ring, and then there's a point where Luger stops and he like looks at the referee. Yeah. Like he doesn't know if he should let go of it now or not. I think that he is wondering if they're in commercial because they go to the ring and they lock up outside the ring and then eventually they do go to commercial. Mm-hmm. And according to uh, Mel- the Wrestling Observer, uh, fans reported in that the entire commercial break, Luger had Macho in a rest hold and he was loudly asking the referee if the commercial break was over. <laughs> so I think that look that you saw was him trying to figure out if he needs to switch to the rest hold or not. <laughs> See, first I thought it was kind of, I was noticing something that was subtle from Luger, <laughs> but it turns out the whole commercial, he's basically shouting. <laughs> As they come back, uh, we see them get back in the ring, finally. We've been told that they've been uh, trading blows outside the ring. They lock up again, and I think, holy shit, is this entire match going to be a lockup? Luckily, Luger powers Randy into the corner pretty quickly this time. Uh, also, for this particular Nitro, I have more than a few really good Bischoff quotes. Oh, by all means. Uh, so this one, I, I think maybe Heenan kind of got bored with that. But he was saying, I understand Hogan is still the neck brace. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. And Eric Bischoff says, yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, there is like the pause after that. In which you could tell that Heenan's like, come on. <laughs> Give me something to play off, Seriously. As, much, uh, as Randy comes out of the corner, Luger slaps him, kind of uh, getting him back for that slap that he got uh, Luger with back in the second week, uh, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. 
Macho then tries to suplex. Oh, they so they they end up on the outside, and then Macho tries to suplex Lex, and this again turns into them standing there, uh, basically just standing there locked up, trying to outmuscle the other guy as Macho tries to get Lex up for the suplex, and Lex tries to counter it. So it it's just I don't get what they're doing with this match. It's really poorly constructed. Uh, eventually, Luger hits a neckbreaker on the outside. And brings Macho and the action back in the ring. Uh, Macho rolls him up in a small package. But Luger kicks out and then hits a very impressive press slam. uh, And then flexes right away. Um, I thought it looked really good. However, I will point out that while he was flexing and hitting that press slam, that goddamn referee was back up on the ropes for no reason. (laughs) He's... He's like the, the kid on the escalator in Mall yeah, yeah, That's exactly how I felt when I was writing the, that ref is back on the ropes. Uh, another, uh, when they were out in the ring, outside of the ring, there's another uh, good Bishop quote. After Macho Man uh, uh, drops Luger chest-wise on the guardrail, mm-hmm. Eric Bischoff says, he'll be spitting teeth for a week. For a week. How many teeth do you have to have? That's insane. Yeah. And how, like, they're just hanging on by a thread and just all week one, new ones are coming loose and popping out. <laughs> Randy uh, counters a hip toss into a backslide attempt, and then this again starts a spot with two of them trying to see who's stronger, with each trying to get the other guy to go into a backslide. Uh, Randy at one point gets close to getting Luger's shoulders down, but Luger... Uh, puts his foot under the second rope to sort of hold himself uh, upright. Yeah. And the announcers sell this like it's a heel move. But that's not, there's nothing illegal or underhanded about that. That's just good ring awareness. Yeah. That's like the smartest move that Lex Luger has done in any of the matches we've watched so far. Uh, Luger finally gets Macho's shoulders down in a backslide for a two count. So that spot just goes on forever and ends up doing nothing. Mongo, at this point, exclaims that they're pulling out all the stops and it's no-holds-barred, but it is not no-holds-barred. No. I don't know if Mongo realizes that that's an actual uh, stipulation or not. Like, I don't know if he thinks that that is just a phrase you use in wrestling when two guys are really getting into it. Yeah. Maybe he recently saw the movie No-Holds-Barred. <laughs> right. Eventually, uh, Macho whips Lex into the corner as well as into the ref. Who goes down. It's kind of an awkward looking ref bump, but gets yeah. the job done. Savage then hits a body slam and an elbow. So just like uh, Hulk Hogan it, back in episode two, we know that uh, Lex Luger should have lost. Yeah. We, we j- uh, I don't know why they're intent on doing these non-finishes, but still showing us that Randy and Hogan would have won. And Other than Randy and Hogan have a lot of clout, and that's the yeah. way they're going to push them. And, and, and it was... It was it felt so obvious that it was immediately after the ref goes down, he slams him right. and he hits the elbow job. I mean, it's like such a, a stereotypical, I guess, thing to do right after the ref bump. That cliche. Like, yeah. Cliche is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, so at that point, the giant comes out, he choke slams macho, Lex doesn't seem to see it. He's not aware of the interference. Um, mm-hmm. So he's not necessarily a heel, but he's certainly benefiting from another heel coming in and, and interfering in the match. Uh, so after that choke slam, Lex uh, gets Randy up in the torture rack oh. as the referee. It takes him forever to get him oh up in the torture rack. Oh, my God. So I, I just have a thought about this torture rack. 
So, I mean, yes, Randy Savage is knocked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luger, his, his idea, you, you could tell his brain's trying to process how to lift him up right. as he's trying to lift it up. <laughs> yeah. he, he has this idea that he's going to just put an arm around his head and just deadlift all of Macho Man. Right. And then he realizes he can't do that, but he's... Yeah, because he's all glory muscles. It's all buys and tries, man. I don't think that Luger necessarily <laughs> has a ton of, like, actual, like, core strength to do that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, but unfortunately, Luger doesn't... And I should note, for the audience, I'm a big fat guy. I'm not strong. <laughs> I'm not trying to second-guess these guys uh, in comparison to myself. I'm just saying that I don't know that Luger's as strong as he looks like he should be. I, I mean, it's just... It's something from the very start. You You can... As a fan, you're like, there's no, there's no way you can lift him like this. But when he realizes he can't do that, he doesn't. His improvising is awful. He drags him towards the ropes, and maybe if he holds onto a rope, he can deadlift this guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just this painful. He eventually gets him in. Mm-hmm. He looks Luger looks exhausted. Yeah, he, he strained himself incredibly just to get him in this torture rack, and and since. And since Macho Man is knocked out, that's the referee. The referee doesn't even do the arms. I don't think. I think he just calls it right away. I don't remember, but either way, Macho loses the match. Uh, so Lex is, retains his title shot and his WCW career. Not a very good match. What did you think? No, not a very good match in my opinion. No, and and I think I might have referred referred to this last week as uh, every match seems to be uh, a Luger moment mm-hmm. where he just loses all sense of uh, mental faculties and does something so dumb mm-hmm. that you're just, you can't understand his thinking. Yeah. And for this match, it, it, he was so close. He was so close to the end. And then the torture rack, it, yeah. it's like he, he was trying to remember what the move was. It seemed or, unnecessary to even get in the torture rack. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, I guess the idea is that he's not aware of the choke slam, but he should still see that Macho is essentially unconscious and just yeah. pin him. There's no need to get him in the torture rack. It's completely unnecessary. But not only that, but lots of times in wrestling, you can pick a guy up and they could be dead on their feet. Right. And then lift him up. That would yep. have been way easier, way shorter, and less dumb looking. Yep, I agree. <laughs> After a commercial, we get a promo for what's coming up on Saturday night this week. We learned that last week on Saturday night, Johnny B. Bad never showed up for his uh, U.S. title shot against Sting that we mentioned. Uh-oh. So I'm not sure if that storyline is going to make its way onto Nitro or not, but we'll kind of keep an eye on what's going on with that. One question. We'll get to it in just a minute, but I want to know why he didn't go after Luger this time. Wait, wait a minute. I've got scheduled Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and I'm hearing... Disco, Disco Inferno, isn't it? What's going on? What is that about? Oh, yeah. Chuck, you need to work on your disco moves. Are you kidding? What is is going on? The Disco Disco Inferno. Inferno. What is that about? Where's Malenko? Where's Guerrero? Where's the match we were expecting to see? Well, he wants to dance. He wants to show off. He told me earlier that tomorrow, when the Atlanta Braves Play uh, Denver Rockies, the Colorado Rockies here. They're not going to do the national anthem. He's going to dance for everybody. So as you can hear from that clip, we get Disco Inferno's music playing. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, <laughs> which really confuses Eric Bischoff because the schedule that he has shows Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko mm-hmm. uh, being next. So Disco's music plays. He comes out and dances, and he is interrupted in short order uh, by Eddie Guerrero and his music. 
and Guerrero just kind of comes and shoves him out of the way. So it seems like they're going to be doing a gimmick with Disco where he just comes out and interrupts other people or like prevents other people's entrances and just dances, I guess. I th- I think it's a good gimmick to have. I was just happy to see him on my TV. I had <laughs> right. no problems with this. Yeah. Um <laughs> it's just I think he's, his character is just funny because he he looks like a fun-loving guy, just wants to come out and dance, but everyone just hates it. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 by the way, I mean, I, however you feel about disco music, mm-hmm. Eddie Guerrero's music is awful. Yeah, it's like this weird rocking Mexican. I don't know how to it's describe so, it. It's so it's such a stereotype. I feel, and I kind of feel like it's been used before, probably by, by other Latino wrestlers. So it's it's just oh, it's so bad. But then uh, his opponent has great music. Dean Malenko, yeah, he's got kind of an Imperial March sort of sounding. Yeah, thing. it's epic. So these guys are both uh, making their Nitro debut. Eddie Guerrero, of course, is Mexican wrestling royalty, the son of Gory Guerrero. Uh, he has wrestled in AAA, New Japan, and ECW, and is now here as a part of an attempt to bolster the cruiserweight division that's being developed, as ra- well as raise the match quality on WCW's house shows, which were uh, they had a terrible reputation for just being awful, awful shows at the time. So Bischoff, during Guerrero's entrance, rightly, in my opinion, says that WCW is bringing in the best young talent from across the world and is home of the biggest names in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the best selling point for WCW. I don't think you can argue that. I yeah. think they do have the most exciting young talent with guys like Pillman, Jushin Liger, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and they do have the biggest, most established names in wrestling uh, at this point. So that's that's a great uh, job of marketing the product. Yeah. And also speaking of uh, Jushin Liger, uh, Eddie Guerrero defeated Jushin Liger on Saturday night for the right to face Dean Malenko in this match. Yep. Uh, slight correction, though. That was on main event on Sunday. That was the other one of the other B shows. Okay. That was I remember it because I don't remember ever hearing of WCW main event before until they showed that clip. Okay. Dean Malenko, as we mentioned, is Eddie's opponent. He's another uh, re- legacy wrestler, son of Boris Malenko, although their actual surname is Simon. Dean Simon, and uh, I don't know if the dad's real name was Boris or not. He has wrestled in Florida, Mexico, Japan, and also in ECW. So he and Eddie have had uh, numerous chances to work together. Uh, you know, they've got great chemistry. They each know what to expect from each other. Uh, and this was a slam dunk move by WCW signing these guys and putting them on TV. Um, however, this match, it, it's great. But the crowd is dead for it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's those thousands of free comps that are in there. I think they want to see Hogan and don't really give a shit about anything else. Yeah. So it sucks because these guys put on a great match. And as we'll talk about, uh, well, it, it starts right away. They're kind of feeling each other out. They're doing some reversals and cool kip-ups and flips. All Bischoff can talk about during this period is when Hogan's limo is going to arrive. Right. I'm going to play another clip here of what Mongo decides to talk about, which is something else entirely. Now, let me understand this. A thousand holes, and there's a book out, 101 sex positions. Where does he come up with a thousand holes? So, yeah, I, Mongo, oh, man, I don't know what to do with this one. <laughs> and neither, I like how Bischoff immediately cuts off Bobby from saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a smart move. My, my first reaction was that Mongo... Figured out the comparison because it dealt with numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to attempt to call this match move for move because I don't have the expertise 
Uh, plus, there's just it's it's a high flying, quick quick matchup. I shouldn't say high flying, yeah. but it's a very quick back and forth matchup. Uh, so both men are bouncing off the ropes, reversing holds, reversing each other, avoiding each other. Mm-hmm. Dean eventually hits a drop kick. They then trade a bunch of pin reversals until Eddie hits a clothesline. Um, and so this action's fast paced. It's exciting. It's great. So what do we do? We cut completely to instead. Hulk Hogan arriving in a limo and uh, Jimmy Hart trying to dissuade him from entering the arena. And let's hear uh, how the Hulkster responds to uh, Jimmy Hart's warnings here. Are you with me or are you against me? Hulkster, I'm with you, man, but I'm telling you, tell you something, man. Your neck's not 100%. The giant knows you're going to be in the building tonight. You don't need to be in here. You won't believe what he did to the macho man. Brother, let me tell you, Jimmy Hart, calm down. I'm not the big picture now. It's all those little hosts that believe in me, man. If he wipes me out, so be it. They'll carry off from me. But let's get it on. Let's get it over with. I want that giant eye to eye. You can help me. Let's go do it. Come on, Jimmy. Listen to me, though. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It is going to be fireworks tonight here live Monday Night Raw on TNT. We are back. So what did you uh, what did you think of that promo, and what do you think in general of the way that WCW is treating this match right now? Well, uh, initially they did the split screen, and I, I couldn't really I didn't really remember this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, split screen, I, I can live with that. But then, even after you're aware it's Hogan you get the gist of what that segment is. Right. They still cut away from it in which Hogan, he, he explains the storyline like overly to Jimmy Hart. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, I think at least two or three times he lets Jimmy know that he's his best friend, Mm -hmm. um, that he's looking for that big stinky giant. Even if I like that he says, even if he dies, the Hulkamaniacs will carry on for him. <laughs> and I like the idea of, of Hulk Hogan dying in the ring and then the ring giant being swarmed by children in red and yellow T-shirts <laughs> who just kick his ass. Yeah, but it was just it, it's it was just ridiculous. I mean, a backstage segment either way can be taped and shown at any time. So yeah. why do, why do they show it in the middle of this match. That it doesn't make sense to me. As I've said in a couple past episodes, one thing I want to do with this show is look at the truth of WCW and not just look at the narrative that WWF spins or yeah. WWE spins nowadays. Yeah. Um, but certainly one of the most popular narratives about WCW is that they had all of this talent that was sort of held down um, by these bigger, more established names. And that certainly seems true right from the get-go. I mean, you've got Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko putting on a great match and we uh-huh. literally cut away the announcers spend most of the match talking about Hogan. We cut away to see Hogan. And then when we come back to the match, they talk about Hogan and some other bullshit even more. Yeah. At the beginning of the match though, I felt to their credit that the announcers were trying to hype the guys up. They're talking about, uh, the man of a thousand holds. Mm-hmm. Were, you, you could tell they had no 
chance of uh, getting the moves right, though. Right. They just were really excited about the moves. This is another match where Bischoff tries a lot at certain points in the match. Uh-huh. A lot of it he bullshits, but at certain points he's just breathlessly calling every single move, 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 move. Yeah. And it's, again, he can't find that balance. It's it's either he's uh, talking with, uh, he's b- uh, bantering with Bobby about what he may or may not have discussed with George Steinbrenner over lunch. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and at other times he's calling every single move, you know, in, a, mm-hmm. in just a flurry of trying to keep up. Sounds like the Micro Machines guy, you know? Yeah. Um, at one point uh, when Malink goes out of the ring, Eddie Guerrero goes to the top and he does like a he does a plancha mm-hmm. out of the ring. An amazing plancha from the top rope to the outside. Right. And at that point I was like, I I said so far in the in the Nitro's short history that was the best move. Oh the yeah. Single best move. It not only does he execute it perfectly but at the angle it was just it was like an almost iconic looking shot of him jumping off of. Yeah, if you're making a commercial for like Monday Nitro at this point and you can only show one thing You've got a five-second promo or something. Yeah. I'd go with that before I'd put on Luger or Savage or Hogan. Right. I would go with Eddie Guerrero jumping off that top rope to the outside. So you you would do that instead of last uh, last week when uh, Lex Luger clothesline it fell over. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Amazingly. Uh, the announcers are impressed by the move, but they also decide to say that it looks like Mexican cliff diving or something you would see in Acapulco. Uh, so that just seems a little racist and, and kind of disrespectful to the move to be like, that ah, looks like fun cliff diving that you would do on vacation. Like this guy's killing himself and killing Dean Malenko. Mm-hmm. Show him some goddamn respect. It, that really bothered me. Yeah. And, and, I, and Eddie's from El Paso, Texas, not from Mexico. You fuckers. Yeah. And also you said Acapulco and right away. I, I know that that must've been a Mongo comment. I know that was Bischoff. Really? Yeah. Uh, I think Mongo is the one who said it looks like Mexican cliff diving, and then Bischoff follows up with, yeah, that looks like something you'd see in Acapulco. <laughs> uh, Bobby, at this point, covers for the quiet crowd by saying that they're all shocked. So uh, oh, even the announcers yeah. are noticing how dead the crowd is, mm-hmm. despite the great action in the ring. And are, at, uh, Bobby, at least, is trying to cover for it a little bit. Yeah, I think you made a great point earlier, the fact that what like 70 percent of these fans were comp huge yeah it was thousands of like they packed the whole arena but most of the people there are comps yeah and a lot of those are probably i would assume to be very casual fans and the casual fans are not going to know eddie guerrero and dean malenko in 1995 i mean they're waiting for like you said they're waiting for hogan or sting or or they already saw savage so maybe there's even kind of that uh the the low from seeing Luger and seeing Savage already mm-hmm. to going to these two little guys that they've never heard of. So Eddie goes for a frog splash from the top rope, but Dean gets his knees up. The announcers, uh, instead of calling any of this, are talking about a ruckus in the back that apparently involves Hogan. But we never go to the back or see what they're talking about. Um, so that's almost a Bobby's bit, except for it's not Bobby doing it this right. time. But we do hear about something going on in the back. <laughs> uh, that we don't get to see. Dean on the ground, then uh, they trade some reversals on the mat. Dean's on the ground, and he tries to pull Eddie down by the ankle, and he's got his legs in the air, and Eddie just sits down and gets a cradle for the victory. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to think, that's either the second or third match we've seen in five weeks that have ended with a surprise cradle. 
because uh, Alex Wright got a victory over Disco Infernal with a cradle, and I think there was one other one. Oh, uh, Orndorff beat yes. Johnny B. Bad. Yep, you're yep. absolutely right. So that's a popular finish uh, at this point. But this was a good match. Um, I feel bad for the way that it was treated by kind of the overall production, but yeah. these two guys certainly proved why they were brought into WCW and and just how good it could be if it was presented correctly. And I also like the uh, the showmanship at the end too, when uh, Dean Malenko shook his hand and he was demanding a rematch, and Agro said any time. Yeah, Dean kind of seems a little bit like a heel because he just claims that Eddie got lucky and he wants a rematch. But like Dave said, they shake hands, so um, no one's outwardly a heel or a babyface. These are just two great wrestlers who just came and put on a fantastic match mm-hmm. that the crowd and the announcers and the production sort of ignored. So they put on a great match that everyone ignored, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that the camera... Except for you and I 20 years later. Yeah. The fact that the camera, for the most part, was focused on them when it wasn't cutting away, yeah. I, I think is a great achievement. Well, and, <laughs> and Meltzer actually mentions in the Wrestling Observer, written after this episode, that he got a number of calls and letters of people that were just really pissed at WCW with the way this whole thing was handled, so... Uh, certainly there were smarks in 95 who were looking out for the likes of Eddie and Dean. Yeah. And I think they were, those guys, you know, were probably pissed that that type of fan were pissed that these guys left ECW after a pretty short time. Cause in ECW, that's the only place really in wrestling right now in American wrestling, I should say yeah. where they could have been given uh, the right audience for the type of wrestling they're doing. Yeah. We then are welcomed to uh, America by mean Gene Okerlund. Yes. <laughs> Uh, who brings out Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan cuts a promo. Uh, We'll listen to a little bit of that promo right here. Hulk Hogan, there is a man in town tonight that has cut a path of destruction to the World Championship Wrestling, and you have been his obvious target. Well, I guess there's not a whole heck of a lot to talk about, me, Gene. You know something, brother? After what went down with this big nasty giant over the last few weeks, few months, brother, I had to do a little soul searching, brother. So last night, I was with a little buddy of mine, Jason Pittman, brother, a little teeny Hulkamaniac who's getting ready for a double lung transplant, brother. And he said, Hulk Hogan, belly up to the bar, look the giant in the eye, take him on and put him down, brother. And Jason, that's why I'm here. And since that big stinky giant isn't out here in the ring right now, he must be in the back, brother. And just like I'm gonna rip this shirt off right now, brother, I'm heading to the back since the Giant's not here, and I'm gonna rip him apart right now, Mean Gene. What's he gonna do, brother? Well, I tell you what, Hulk Hogan promised that Hulk Hogan T-shirt to one of the Hulk Hulkamaniacs here at ringside on Monday Nitro. As you know, Hogan to meet the Giant in Detroit on October the 29th when it's machine versus machine and man versus man at Halloween Havoc. Circling right now ringside. I don't know if I'm going to get him back in here for more comments or not, but Hulk Hogan certainly very popular. Oh, what is this? There's a woman with a cane. What is this? Come on. Wait a minute. What is this? Hold on. Who is this off? Back to you. I'll take it, Gene. You see, this is what makes the WCW Monday Nitro 
so exciting, baby. You never know what's going to happen. That's no woman. That's no woman. That's Norman Bates. Get whoever it is. Oh, no. Oh, I know who it is. Oh, no. See? What's next? That's yes. next. Granny's done come out of the crowd. That's no granny. That's no granny. That's our resident cycle right there. The taskmaster at ringside throwing something in the eyes of the world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan. This is it. This is it. Hulkamania could be over right now. Look at this. He's ripped the, the brace off his neck. Oh, no. Rips it off. The neck brace. And now he's going to do it again. No. Oh. No. Somebody needs to get in there and stop this. His career very well could be over. They've got clippers. They're shaving off the mustache. Oh, they're sick oh, never. Hogan. oh no. Oh. This goes beyond inflicting bodily harm. This goes beyond a quest for the world heavyweight title. What they're doing, Bishop, they are taking him apart piece by piece, piece by piece. After the promo, Hulk Hogan goes to the outside. Uh, mean Gene tells us that he had promised to give the shirt he ripped off to a little Hulkamaniac. I'm pretty sure we then see Hogan give it to a full-grown adult. Oh, uh, a comment about the Hulk Hogan promo. Yeah. Uh, when he mentions the, the young boy that it needs like a double lung Oh, transplant. I forgot about that. Yeah, I was just introducing the clip. I forgot to talk about that. Yeah, yeah by all means, go ahead. Yeah, um... <laughs> I think he says it's like a double lung transplant. A double lung transplant, which yeah. I I have no idea. I would assume if he says it, that's a thing you can do. It's it just sounds kind of like over the top. I don't know, but it goes I, along with that muscular dystrophy bullshit from a couple weeks ago, where they're like really playing on our heartstrings, yeah, uh, in a gross way to get us to cheer or boo the way they want us. to. Yeah, I, I also I just thought it was interesting when he's talking with this he's relaying the story about talking to this kid mm -hmm. and the kid really wants him to face the giant. And the kid says that he has to belly up to the bar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A lot of 11 year olds in the hospital awaiting double lung transplants right. are also old bar dudes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's time to belly up to the bar. Hulkster. I, I like yeah, that. That makes it feel really, really made up. At least that, yeah. that part is obviously made up by Hogan. I don't know if the kid exists or not. Right. Uh, what I heard that I, I like to think that when, when Hulk Hogan listens to people, it, he, it goes through like a, a Hulk Hogan Hulkster translator in his mind. <laughs> yes, yeah. So in order to relay the message back to someone, it has to be spoken like Hulk Hogan. So every <laughs> just <laughs> belly up to the bar of all the things. I bet the kid called the giant stinky a couple of times. A big, nasty, stinky giant. So Hogan is still glad handing around the ring. Mean Gene says basically that he doesn't know if Hogan's going to come back in and talk more or not, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Hogan then uh, is viciously attacked. An old woman throws powder right in his eyes and then jumps the guardrail and starts beating Hogan with her cane. Right. Mean Gene yells something along the lines of, oh my God, it's a woman, which I think <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> And uh, so this woman's attacking Hogan. The Dungeon of Doom comes out, and it's it's revealed uh, after she tears off her wig that the old woman is, in fact, the dastardly taskmaster, Kevin right. Sullivan. <laughs> I also like this moment where uh, I, I think Bobby Keenan has a lot of pride, and he he reveals that he believes it's the taskmaster 
pretty early. Oh, yeah. He wants to let the audience know that he sees he's through like, it. Listen, this is not a grandma. <laughs> That's obviously the Taskmaster. And I, I don't know, again, how the Dungeon of Doom could possibly be taken seriously when their satanic evil leader is dressed up like a little old lady. <laughs> any other disguise. Any other disguise. He's got a shawl and a skirt, and it just could not make him look like a bigger goofball. Right. It's a weird, weird choice. Uh, Giant comes out to the ring along with Zodiac. Uh, Giant chokeslams Hogan, and then they shave off his mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that Hogan just wanted to try going without the mustache, the signature look for a while, and decided to work it into an angle. I don't know that. I'm just speculating. Yeah. This was an also, This was another situation in which a, a bunch of pretty much no name not no name guys but lower car guys uh the american males mm-hmm. and the nasty boys who are supposed to face each other for the tag titles tonight yeah it it, it it continues this really confusing thing where why doesn't sting or macho right. or like the big names or or wrestlers that are associated with being friends with someone right come to help them but instead we get all the like jobbers or mid carters or, yeah. or guys that just don't make any sense coming out. Yeah. So those two tag teams come out and eat choke slams. Uh, Hogan is shaved uh, mustache wise. They also tease that the Zodiac is going to cut his hair, which I think is just an inside joke because he used to be Brutus the Barber Beefcake because he doesn't actually cut his hair. Yeah. He just sort of acts like he's going to. And then he acts like he's going to cut. Uh, I think it's Jerry Sags' hair. Uh, which he doesn't do that either. Right. He just has scissors and then doesn't use them. That, <laughs> right. That's that. That's uh, So after that dastardly attack, we go to commercial. And when we come back, it's time for our main event. All right. Arn Anderson with the jobber entrance. He's in the ring already. Uh, doesn't really upset me too much because, I mean, a jobber entrance once in a while is not a big deal anyway. Mm-hmm. But we've got a one-hour show, and I think they want to give this match and the angle following it some time. So... That's a quick way to do it. You come back with a guy in the ring. And if you're going to see an entrance of those two guys, it's going to be flares. Sure. With the big song, the big robe. Do you think, by the way, because he's wearing a lovely orange and white robe this week. Do you think Flair wears those around the house, like even today or in 1995? Because I would. I'd be wearing those fuckers all the goddamn time. Oh, yeah, for sure. They look luxurious. They look awesome. You, like, get a sexy chick back to your room and you have her wear the robe a little bit. (laughs) I get where you're going, Ric Flair. (laughs) Also, uh, another good line from Eric Bischoff at this point in which he explains that when it comes to Money Nitro, you can't afford not to watch it, <laughs> which I think would be I think that'd be a good slogan, like a good selling point for Nitro. Yeah. Monday Nitro. You can't afford not to watch it. <laughs> Arn takes control early and uh, in probably the most obvious bit of ring psychology we've seen in any of the Nitro matches so far. He focus, focuses consistently on a body part, which no one has really done in any match so far. Uh-huh. He works Flair's arm pretty much most of the match whenever he's on offense. So it's nice to see, uh, and it's not surprising, that it's a guy like Arn Anderson who has that kind of old-school approach to the psychology of the match with working a body part consistently. Sure. Flair eventually fights back, and, he eventually, and the action moves to the outside where Flair eats a back body drop onto the floor. Uh, back in the ring, Flair tries to beg Arn for mercy, but receives none. <laughs> what? <laughs> and there's a, a lot of back and forth action uh, from this point, kind of up until Arn hits that wonderful backbreaker that he's known for so well. 
And I wanted to ask you at this point. Uh, Spinebuster? Spinebuster, thank yeah. you. Yep. Uh, I really noticed, um, as someone who grew up with WWE mostly, uh, I like how much back and forth there is in all of these matches. Mm-hmm. Your WWF formula is Babyface gets in his offense, heel takes over, Babyface gets a few hope spots, and then you're finished. Yeah. Where either the Babyface makes his comeback or the heel cuts off the comeback and wins. Uh, in WCW matches, there's a lot more trading time on offense. Yeah. And I it, it's great. It seems a lot more like a legitimate sport when some guy doesn't get his ass kicked for 10 minutes and then win in the 11th. Right. Um, does that a, is that a style thing that you notice a lot as you watch the two? Or Yeah, and when you say that, it immediately brings up uh, images of Bret Hart. Because Bret Hart uh, in, on Raw would just, no matter how low the guy is, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be uh, like Rad Radford or, or someone like that, or Mantar, right. and he just gets pummeled the whole time, like from the beginning, right? He gets pummeled the whole time, and then he comes back, hits the his five moves of doom, and wins. Yep. Uh, yeah, but uh, WWF, WWF certainly had like that sort of uh, formula for their matches. Uh, and WCW will use that formula when it's guys like Hogan who seemingly only know how to work that style because yeah. that's a Hogan match. Mm-hmm. He comes out hot. He gets his ass kicked for a long time. He hulks up and hits the moves of doom and that's it. Yeah. So when it's a guy like Hogan, they'll do that. But when it's anyone who can go even a little bit, like even Kurosawa uh, and Craig Pittman uh, last week, those two guys went back and forth during the match. And I I just like seeing that. It's it's a different style. And I would take this style over the WWF style. Yeah, it's kind of those are the that's the kind of match that WWF, I I think, saves for pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's true. Like the, a more evenly fought match, and uh, WCW just has that all the time. So, I think by appearance, it gives them a higher quality of wrestling matches on their TV show. Sure. Mongo tells us that Nitro is live, but we can catch that other stuff, uh, referring to Raw, any old time. Which doesn't really make any sense because sure, Nitro is raw, uh, live and Raw is taped, but it's not like I can go down to the video store and check out Raw. Like, I still need to be have it on when it's airing. Right. And that's also suggesting, like, hey, you can still end up watching Raw if you want. Yeah, most of the time Mongo <laughs> talks about Raw when he's not claiming that they're named after Raw eggs. Uh, right. He spends his time saying, like, hey, watch Raw, but just, like, watch Nitro first. Or <laughs> watch Nitro, but if you don't watch Nitro, then watch Raw. <laughs> like, he, he does a very bad job of running down the competition despite being the guy who brings it up the most. Not only that, when when he also doesn't know what to say, he runs down to his former profession of football too. Yeah, he does. Because he'll say Monday night football's on right now, but you already know the Niners are gonna win, so watch this. Yeah. Or or he says, uh, me and the boys, we don't sit around watching football. We watch pro wrestling. Yep. Or when I'm hanging out with Mike Singletary, we're watching Nitro or something like that. It's just it's just I, I do I don't know what he is motivated to sell, but uh, it's really really confusing. Bischoff notes something interesting at this point, and uh, in my raw recap, we'll see how the other company also incorporates this uh, piece of news into the evening. It's announced uh, by Bischoff. I think it's already known, but he he mentions that the O.J. Simpson verdict is going to be read tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be October third, nineteen ninety five. 
uh, and he says that you can watch CNN for updates. Right. So he just kind of mentions it and uses it as a cross-promotional tool for other uh, Turner-based platforms. Yeah. That makes sense. So I want you to keep that in mind when we get to the Raw recap uh, and talk a little bit about the how they decided to handle the oh, coming down of the OJ I was verdict. wondering if you were going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Arn, uh, back to the match, Arn comes off the top rope and eats a chop from Flair, who then puts him into figure four. Uh, Arn manages to last in the figure four a lot longer than Brian Pillman did uh, when he was put in it just a couple weeks ago. Uh, so he lasts until Pillman can come out, mm-hmm. and Pillman goes up to the top rope, and before he can actually interfere, the ref has already called for the bell. Uh, something that doesn't mean anything, but just I noticed was that in WCW, the ref signal for the bell towards the hard camera rather than co- sort of towards the right where you'll see the announcers do it in WWF. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. So that was just something I noticed. It doesn't, it's not particularly interesting. Yeah. It's just different. This is also one of those moments where you can tell that the announcers didn't, weren't aware of how the results were going to go. Right. Because they, they keep arguing the fact that they think that uh, Arn Anderson was disqualified because Brian Pillman was up on the top and mm-hmm. then the bell rang, but he didn't jump off yet. And so the whole time while there's this beatdown going on, they're trying to figure out exactly how the match ended. <laughs> Flair valiantly tries to fight off the two, but he's overcome by the numbers game. Uh, Arn and Pillman are beating him in the corner. And Bischoff does a great job, I think, selling the storyline uh, that they've been going for, which is that Flair, this is what happens, quote, when you're an island, uh, as you mentioned previously, yeah. I think it was in our last episode, actually, uh, that Flair had pretty much made enemies out of everyone except for the four horsemen. So when the horsemen are, are when he turns on the horsemen and he this is his fault, he's pushed Arn away because Arn was choosing family over over business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he's lost the horsemen, he has no one left. He's he's a man unto himself. Yeah, I it's it's. It seems like this feud is being kind of lost under the whole uh, Dungeon of Doom, Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. feud. But this one, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, seems like it makes more sense. Absolutely. Like, they have uh, a focus on it. Yeah. And, like the, the story here is that, that Flair has betrayed Arn Anderson and and at this point, that's the last friend that he has. Mm-hmm. And so he... And so, like, this double team is, it's, like, symbolic of the fact that when when he gets into trouble, who's there to help him? Yep. No one, because yep. he has lost all of his friends. So, it's, like, it's such a good feud that it is pretty much skimmed over because they're really hammering home either the Lex Luger-Savage feud, which is kind of a confusing respect. Yeah. Or do they hate each other, or do they are they proving it? Themselves. And is Lex a heel or is he a baby face? Yeah, uh, but this this is a, a the feud that like you know why they're fighting, you know what it's about, and and despite all that, they they just the announcers don't want to focus on it. And I was happy to see Flair uh, in his first show back from his uh, uh, unanimous MVP show two weeks ago. I was happy to see that he is put in the main event spot on the yeah. show and treated with the importance that he should be because he. Uh, he's the one carrying the show on his back right now. Most of the quality on the show mm-hmm. usually involves the cruiserweights who get kind of ignored 
And they're not even called the cruiserweights yet. There's not a belt for that. They're just the guys who sort of become the the proto-cruiserweights. Right. Um, But Flair is the guy who's consistently turning in great promos, good matches. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to see him put in the main event finally on on an episode. After beating Flair for a while, Pillman and Arn just sort of walk off and we go to commercial. Uh, As they walk off, though, Pillman throws up the forward horseman fingers. So again, kind of playing up that part of the story. When we come back from commercial, Bischoff tells us that apparently during that very short commercial break, Nick Bockwinkle heard a request from Ric Flair to get Arn Anderson in a cage match next week and has already sanctioned it. <laughs> so that was a productive commercial break. We already have a main event set up for next week. It's a cage match with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Again, I feel like they're uh, chasing ratings by putting that on free TV. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited to see it. I'm looking forward to next week when we get to watch that match and talk about it. It's pretty amazing that Ric Flair can get for the next week, a steel cage match, which in within moments, whereas uh, Vader has to put in his paperwork <laughs> in order to have the match with, in War Games. That is an exceedingly good point. <laughs> We're also going to see Sting against the Shark in what I'm sure is going to be a five-star classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sabu will face off against the mysterious masked Mr. JL. Yes. And Road Warrior Hawk is going to face off against Big Bubba in another sure-to-be five-star classic. And for the record, uh, Hawk's broken arm happened at Clash of the Champions, which was in August. Yeah. So he's coming back in less than two months without even a reference to his arm being broken. Wow. Good for him. What a strong guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's going to bring us to the end of the show. In our Raw report, Razor Ramon defeated the 1-2-3 Kid. Triple H defeated Barry Horowitz. PG-13 defeated the Smoking Guns in a non-title match. Uh, and Bret Hart in the main event defeated Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Uh, those two guys had some great matches together. I didn't watch this uh, Raw, so I don't know how that particular match was. Mm-hmm. But they had a match at one of the In Your Houses, I th- I'm pretty sure, that was pretty great. Yeah. Also throughout the show, Raw plugged a phone poll. You could call in and vote whether you thought OJ would be declared guilty or not guilty. This cost like 99 cents to call up and vote, but all proceeds would be given to a charity for like abused children. Yeah. WWF had to like immediately apologize the next day (laughs) because (laughs) everyone thought A, it was really gross of them. Yeah. And B, the charities were not informed ahead of time. So people called these charities and were like, why are you collecting money on a vote over a double homicide? And they were like, we have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) So WWF had to apologize. So certainly two approaches to handling uh, integrating the OJ verdict into your programming. Right. Jeez. <laughs> Just Vince, man. Yeah. Like, we, we were... The Hogan stuff with the double lung transplant is gross, but this feels like even a new level. Yeah. Because even if Hogan didn't have a specific kid that was sick and looking out, there definitely were sick kids out there somewhere that wanted Hogan to beat the Giant. Right. But there's no abused kids who are like, I hope that WWF gives us some money based on whether OJ (laughs) murdered two people or not. (laughs) Just bizarre. In our ratings roundup, both shows received a 2.5 rating this week. So that's down slightly for WWF and up significantly for WCW. And is that the first tie that they've had? Yep, I believe so. So WCW really endeavored, as we mentioned in our last episode, to make this a big show with some huge uh, uh, matches. Uh, First, the Savage versus Luger. Um, They promoted some, you know, debuts with Dean Malenko. Uh, But then we also got this 
Flair Arn Anderson match, which I'm assuming what must have been added on Saturday night or maybe even prior to that. I don't know what other B shows they may have had, um, but clearly they were adding to the show to try to get the ratings back up from that 1.9 they had suffered a week before. Yeah. Dave, last week we started with uh, match of the night, so let's this week start with MVP. Who is your MVP of the show? Uh, I'm gonna go with a with a, a shocker on this one, and I'm gonna give it to the Taskmaster. Oh my gosh, the little old lady! <laughs> right? What one is for having that? That's probably Kevin Sullivan's more most iconic moment on Nitro is sure. the fact that he was dressed up like an old lady, <laughs> right? Also, even though he's not involved in the big title match at Halloween Havoc, he had one of the big moments of the feud, which was shaving off the mustache of Hulk Hogan. Sure, yeah, that definitely seems like the kind of thing we're going to see a lot of replays of in the weeks to come. Yes, so, uh, I mean, I personally feel like there was, there was a lot of contenders, but uh, there's not going to be another chance for the Taskmaster to win this, so... My MVP is one of his uh, stablemates in the Dungeon of Doom. I gave it to the Giant, uh, essentially for the same reasons you gave it to the Giant last week. He looked like a complete badass. This time he wasn't just choke slamming jobbers and Alex Wright. This time yeah. it was the tag team champions, uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, and the Nasty Boys, who I can't stand the Nasty Boys. They're probably my least favorite tag team of all time. Yeah. But uh, they were certainly, they were made to be a little bit of a big deal in WCW. So for them to come out and get destroyed so cleanly, uh, for Hogan's neck to get broken again. Oh my God, I just realized that we skipped right past that. Not only did he attack Hogan, he broke his neck again. He did the twisting of the neck. Mm -hmm. Uh, So apologize to anyone who has seen this episode that was yelling at us back when we skipped that earlier. (laughs) But anyway, I give it to the Giant because he looked like a dominating force. Um, I can believe that he may win the title at Halloween Havoc despite... Hogan being Hogan. Um, so I'm going to give it to the Giant this week. Uh, for match of the night, I'll go first this time. Uh, I gave it to... Drum roll, please. Uh, just kidding. There is no suspense. Of course, I gave it to Eddie and Dean. Uh, I'm assuming you did too? Yes. Uh, Although Flair and Arn would have been... a uh, That would have been a respectable choice as well. The only reason why I wouldn't want to is because uh, WCW was pretty... Seemed at the moment was insistent on us not watching the match. Yeah, that's true. So I didn't want to give him credit for it, but it was obviously the best wrestle match of the night. It was, and it was the kind of match that if you're only watching WWF and WCW, you haven't seen a match like that for a long time. I mean, I guess there was um, there was Pillman Liger not only in the debut Nitro, but back in uh, Super Brawl 2. Mm-hmm. And there was a light heavyweight championship. In fact, I think that Super Brawl 2 match was for the the first match excuse me, it was a match to determine the first light heavyweight champion in WCW. Oh, okay. Um, so there have been some great wrestling matches in WCW featuring smaller guys, mm-hmm. but this type of televised Monday night match, this is the first one, and you're not seeing this in a lot of places. I'd cert- I I kind of want to go watch that Raw now, uh, last week's Raw that had Marty Jannetty and Chris Candido, and see how that may have compared to see if maybe maybe I'm overestimating this match, and maybe I'm I'm claiming that there wasn't this kind of thing on TV when actually it maybe was right under my nose and I was just obsessed with the Hogans and the HBKs and the Bretts at the time, you know? So uh, I'll go back and watch that. But for me, this match really stuck out as something different, something I wasn't used to seeing on the show so far. Okay. Now on the episode in general, I know kind of before we recorded, you said that you really liked the show. I know the tone of our podcast, we kind of poke fun at things a little bit. But yeah. 
Um, afterward, do you you feel like still this was a, a good episode? This, this stood up? Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of the fun that we're making of it is from the announcers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Definitely. But really, for for the first match of, of Luger and Savage, I, I think it was the best kind of match that they could have had. Sure. Um, which is not saying it was a really great match. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had... It had even it had a semblance of psychology of this uh, power struggle between the two. Yeah. Even though like a power struggle between the two doesn't make sense. Right. They focused. They <laughs> yeah. focused on something. Um. After that, obviously Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko have a great match. It's starting to show. I I think just to make it easy, we refer to them as the cruiserweights. Yeah, I agree. Um. And also got Disco Inferno in there, which is always a little bit of icing on the top. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little comedy. You know, a good wrestling show is a variety show. Yeah. And this certainly was a variety show with big hulking muscle guys going at it, with comedy, with smaller quick guys putting on a wrestling clinic, mm-hmm. with uh, an exciting angle involving Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom. Yep. And then with a classic wrestling match with Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. There really was a little bit of everything smashed into it one at 45 minutes with commercials yeah 45 minutes of time they had a little bit of everything yeah and then this episode also it was it was good on continuing feuds yep um with rick flair arn anderson the giant and hogan randy savage and lex luger it actually took time to guess excited for halloween havoc for like the first time since fall brawl, you, you would assume that they would be like trying to get these matches pumped up. And this, this week really felt like, okay, we, we really got something going here. So, um, so at this point I wanted to, uh, do something a little bit different. Um, something new to the 20 years of nitro podcast. And I w- want to nominate this episode for the hall of fame. Um, what I think of the, for our hall of fame would be, a show that top to bottom shows a little bit of everything of WCW at that time. Um, I, every segment needs to be watchable, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is important. <laughs> and it, it just really, really captures what WCW was at this point. So we could compile a list, our Hall of Fame of episodes. These would be uh, episodes that the 20 Years of Nitro universe... Uh, right. <laughs> That they would be able to, uh, if they're just somebody who's listening while they're at work and they don't have time to sit down and watch all these nitros. Oh yeah, there's a list of episodes that they could just pick the ones. We can help them find the ones here and there that are definitely worth watching. Yeah, that's kind of the, your idea here. Yeah, so I mean, because there's about 300 episodes. Obviously, not everyone that listens to the podcast is going to watch every single episode. I don't know if we're going to let once it gets to three. I don't know if we can do it once it gets to two hours, but once it gets to three hours per episode, <laughs> right. uh, I don't know if this is going to be a podcast anymore. <laughs> right. um, but I, I thought it's like, let's pick out a few of them, the, the quality ones from different uh, periods of time in WCW. And it's like, if you watch these, you can get the, the real scope of what happened. Okay. So you're voting this into the Hall of Fame. Yes. And I like to think that 20 years of Nitro is a, a democracy. Mm-hmm. I am and wearing my Bernie Sanders T-shirt. Right. So it's a socialist democracy. It's, damn it. Yeah, super <laughs> socialist. Uh, so a qualification for a Nitro episode to make it a Hall of Fame is it has to receive 
100% of the two votes. Oh, so a true democracy, not a uh, democratic republic. I like it. Yeah. So. Uh, so we will rule by consensus. So do I vote it in? Is that the question? Well, I, I think I made it obvious that I'm voting yes. Yep. Uh, so it's going to be up to you as far as do you think. I just like to restate it like in that uh, the segment voting whether Flair gets into the War Games team or not, where they just restate over and over again that they all have votes. Oh. And they <laughs> count how many votes Whoa. and they reiterate their votes. <laughs> right. Um, I feel like I'm a little less enthused in this episode than you are. I'm a little harder on the Macho Man Luger match. I thought that was pretty bad. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm a little more upset about the cruiserweight treatment than I think you might be. But overall, I do agree that this episode had a little bit of everything. It shows off, uh, exactly what WCW was in 1995. So this absolutely can be the first, uh, entry into the 20 years of Nitro Hall of Fame. All right. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> I assume we could have trumpets play or something like that. Oh, too. I can definitely throw some trumpets in here. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We are looking forward to watching that cage match next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, Sting versus uh, the Sharks. Sign me up. You- <laughs> Absolutely. So we'll see you next week where the big boys play. <laughs> 20 years of Nitro. That was devastating. A cover, a count, and a victory for PG-13. Wow, McMahon, that match took about as long as the O.J. Simpson jury deliberated. Yeah, no question about it. We want to know, ladies and gentlemen, what you think. We're going to hear the jury's decision tomorrow. But what do you think? O.J. Simpson, guilty or not? Remember now, proceeds go to the National Exchange Club Foundation for the Prevention of Child Abuse, 50 cents per call. Please get your parental permission. 